You may be seated. I now want to invite Hannah and Beth, who guard Steve's daughters, to come and read scripture for us. Please come. John 14, verses 1 to 4. Do not let our hearts be troubled. You believe in God, also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to there to prepare you a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Revelation chapter 17, verses 15 to 17. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. For again, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. The lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Thank you so much. Well done. Well done. Now it's time for some memories of Steve. Uh, Nathan, Steve's son, will share. Jacqueline, his sister, and Paul, his friend and pastor, will come and pay tribute to him. So Nathan, <coughs> would you please come? So today, I just want to share three memories of my dad with you. Um, some of the most amazing memories I have of my dad um, involved rugby, as many of you know. Um, and at P4, he started taking me to, to Carrick Rugby Club. Uh, and he made me fell in love with his favourite game. Um, do you know, I can remember um, our car journeys every other Saturday when it was an away game. And we'd jump into the garage and have a sneaky fry and a bottle of Powerade on the way. <laughs> and. Well, as we did that, he was able to show me all the places he used to play when he used to play rugby for civil service in Belfast. Um, but however, the best memory was how he always managed to use the games to, to teach me respect, patience, and compassion. That when I was angry and annoyed about losing or, or someone playing dirty in the game, to lift my head up higher and keep on going. A more recent memory um, is what, what, what we as a family like to call the Jessica Lynn incident. Um, and so for, you, for those of you who have never heard this, I guarantee you will laugh. Um, so there was a day um, my dad was taking Beth, the orthodontist, and um, Cool FM were running a competition to win Jessica Lynn tickets. So Jessica Lynn, not Jessica Lynn. Um, <laughs> and they entered and they got through. Uh, and because Beth was 14, they said, no, you can't do it. Is there someone there who's over 16? said, yes, my dad's here, can he do it? So they said, yes, no problem, he can do it. And so they answered the phone and Pete's nodding answers and dad says, I'm calling about the Jessica Lynn tickets. <laughs> and they, the, all the presenters roared into laughter and asked him, are you a big fan then? And he says, oh yes, I love all of her songs. Now make sure she knows I'm spoken for. I'm a married man. Um, at to which they just, they all uproared into laughter. And at the time, I was in my car on the way to university. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I recognize that voice somewhere. <laughs> I was like, it's very, very familiar. And so I ring my dad and I said, who are you on Cool FM? And him and Beth just roared into laughter. And I knew it was him instantly. The final memory I'd like to share with my dad about my dad is, is one that sums up exactly who he is. I can remember being on holiday about six years ago in Mercy in Spain, where we always go. Um, we were all out doing some shopping, and uh, as we went in the other shop, my dad said to me, tell everyone else to go on ahead in, um, and I'll be there in a wee minute. I have to go and do something. So I told everyone, go on in, and I waited at the door for him. And when he came back, I asked him what he was doing. 
And he brought me outside and, and he pointed to a lady down the street who was begging, but she had been looking after herself. She was really well kept and she was doing the best she could. And he said to me, and th I'll just, this is all quoted, um, and this is what he said to me. He said, God told me to go and speak and pray with that lady. And that lady has a young daughter and no husband and no home. And she's trying her best to make a life for her daughter. She let me pray for her daughter and her circumstances. And son, God told me to give her 150 euros. And he said at the time, because we were on holiday, that was all that he could afford to give um, to help her and her daughter. And he said, now son, keep that between you and I because the only person who needs to see works like that is God. And so this is the first that anyone in this hall will have heard that memory, apart from my family who heard it a couple of days ago for the first time. It's my most treasured memory of my dad, because firstly it taught me, it, firstly it taught me so much about God and God's kingdom on earth, but it also sums up the compassionate, kind, humble man of the kingdom that he is. Thank you, Dad. So my mum would also like me to say a few words to my dad on, on her behalf, and I will pre-warn, I may cry now. <laughs> so to dad, this is, this is from your loving wife. My Steve, I have no words to describe the pain in my heart or the fear of doing this life without you. My soulmate, my one and only love, the adventures we have lived, the moments we have shared too many for a mere few sentences. Three beautiful children who shine with all that is wonderfully you. So simply, my love, goodbye for now, all my love, forever, Elaine. I'm not as organized as Nathan. I'm kind of winging this. I tried to write something last night and couldn't. If anyone knows me and Stephen, we had a, as far as brothers and sisters go, the best relationship. We could fight one minute, laugh the next minute, and be fighting again before we finished laughing. But I couldn't think of what to say, so I was going into your WhatsApp messages. There was a family WhatsApp, and then we had our own WhatsApp. And sometimes he would would be sitting texting each other or other times he'd be in my mum's and he would have to warn me now you're on loudspeaker keep it clean <laughs> and he sent me this it was like a meme it says I'm not the type of person you want to put on a speaker during a phone conversation so he used to phone me and he would always go love you sis and I would have to go love you back or love you, bro. And if I didn't say it, it just kept going and going and going. <laughs> and sometimes I told him, oh, give me a headpiece and busy. And until I said, now you probably can't see it, but this was one phone call. He kept hanging, every time I hung up on him, he called me back. And there's literally 21 calls within a space <laughs> of a minute where until I said, love you, bro, he wouldn't leave me alone. So then I found a few other messages. Every so often I would get free tickets to New York and we had just been the Christmas before, all of us. And I said, Stephen, I said, do you think Elaine would be annoyed if you and I went to New York like 10 days before Christmas again? He says, no, he says, I'm going. He says, I don't care, he says, you and I are going. <laughs> I says, look at me, you better run this past her first here because I don't want to cause any problems. So when the tickets got booked, every so often, these messages would come through. I'd say to him, look, we'll do the Brooklyn Bridge, because we didn't walk right across it the last time. I said, we'll go across, we'll walk to Brooklyn, and we can go all around there. So we had been, hadn't been feeling great, and I sent him a message. I said, are you still up for the Brooklyn Bridge? He says, yeah, I'm good, just in bed, blanking out listening to ACDC. <laughs> He said, maybe he says a cigar would be good as well. Um, he says, no matter what, can't wait to go. Highlight, highlight of my year going to New York with you, sis. 
Well, secondly fair, my real number one highlight of this year is Beth getting into Lauren Grammar School and doing so well and seeing her confidence go through the roof. I love my kids so much. Soon there was other times, he was the Christmas king. You know, he really was. Christmas got earlier and earlier every year. You know, much sooner or much later, Christmas would have been in September. So he sends me a message. They've started putting the tree up at the Rockefeller Center. He says, let it snow. Can't wait, sis. Really and honestly, thank you for letting me come. Just can't wait now. Oh yeah, just watched Home Alone 2. Have you ever no <laughs> Have you ever noticed Donald Trump was in it? I said, Stephen, you've watched this a hundred times. Why are you only noticing him now? So Friday the 5th of July, I had been in the hospital for the day and he sent me this YouTube video of Shirley Bassey. I am what I am. But when I seen it, there was another message that I hadn't got to read and he says, this is your song, sis. Love you always. I said, oh my goodness, I thought you were coming out of the closet there. <laughs> and he then goes, love you too. It's me, P.S. I'm dying laughing. He says, I know you aren't, but you're an individual. Well, in my opinion, an amazing individual. Me, how much have you had to drink? <laughs> <laughs> he says, nothing. He says, can I just not tell you I love you? But I don't need those phone calls anymore because I know our Stephen loved me. And he knows I loved him. I had the best brother ever. I'm a mum and dad. We had the best. I think it might, may have been from Baskin Street when I had to share a bedroom in the two up, two down. When you sleep with your brother until you're nine, <laughs> you kind of get a bit close. But today he's at peace. And we wouldn't have him back for anything. And we don't. He's just... He's our brother, my brother, and... Stephen, Thomas Fugard, known to many of us simply as Steve, but to Elaine and other close people, is known as Fugie. Uh, to me, I like to call him Steve-o. He was also known as son, a brother, dad, and an uncle. He was a second-born child to Tommy and Elizabeth on the 27th of February, 1970. He grew up on Templemore Avenue off the Newton Arts Road, East Belfast, something he was incredibly proud of. He used to put on the East Belfast accent often. He would recall terrible stories of the past, and, but he loved it. He loved all that, where he came from. Come as no surprise, he was uh, far from angelic as a child. In fact, was described as a little wee rogue and was getting into all kinds of trouble. He attended Templemore Primary School and then later Knockbreeder High. Apparently, Steve was a bit of a stud growing up. <laughs> I know I found it hard to believe too. <laughs> but according to Jacqueline, the big sister, she was approached many times by people at school for just a photograph of wee Steve <laughs> in exchange for money. <laughs> I realize that's come as a shock to us, but this next bit won't. As a child, he was immaculately dressed. His hair had to be kept a certain way. Even his wardrobe was kept neat and tidy. Uh, the thing that made me most laugh from sharing the memories was that he had a sheepskin rug in his bedroom and he used to comb it a certain way. <laughs> that explains a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> the most tidy, clean freak I think I've ever known. Tommy and Elizabeth uh, you were incredible parents to him, and uh, he spoke of you with great respect and honor. He honored his father and his mother. Uh, he loved you 
uh, both deeply and dearly. And uh, one of the things that has been spoken of so many times in these last few days and written all over Facebook is what a gentleman he was, and he was. And so much of that was because of the way that you raised him. Jacqueline, you've said it yourself, he deeply loved you. And there was a close brother-sister relationship that the two of you shared, and he cared deeply and loved you with great affection. At the age of 16, Steve met Elaine. And uh, Elaine told us a story how one day she went to Belfast to meet up with Steve, and she was explaining to her mum, Lily, how, oh, I'm just going into Belfast. And Lily's like, great, we're going together. We do a bit of shopping, buy a few new clothes, that sort of thing. And then as the conversation ensued, it was clear to Lily that it was more than just shopping that Elaine wanted to go to Belfast. She was there to meet a boy. And so Lily felt like she needed a chaperone for a while and kind of went along. And uh, they met at the corner of Royal Avenue. And Lily walked on the other side of the road to kind of get <laughs> a glimpse of this uh, newfound love and was described as this wee fella with sandy colored hair. And at that point, it was okay in your book for your Elaine to go out with Steve. They met at the church youth group and uh, he can be remembered then for being really well dressed. He would have worn all kind of pastel colored jumpers including pink and mint green <laughs> together with shiny silver trousers. <laughs> he was a bit of a old romantic our Steve, you know, he often would have brought red roses for Elaine and there was one particular time which is known as the grovel red roses uh, they were at youth camp together, uh, which, uh, and during that time, Steve decided the relationship was getting a bit too serious and so decided to end things. And um, during that time, there were a number of relationships that had kind of got together. In fact, it was described more as a dating agency youth camp, not a Christian youth camp. <laughs> and uh, retold, someone counted, I don't know how you did this, but counted from that particular youth camp 26 couples got together and got married. It's the equivalent to Temple More Tinder. <laughs> so anyway, Steve's dumped Elaine during this time together. She's of course devastated, in fact gets her father-in-law Tommy, who was serving and volunteering at the time to take her home. And Lily takes her in her arms and decides, let's go shopping. Common theme here gets some new clothes and sends her back to the youth camp wearing these new clothes as if to say, look at what you're missing out. <laughs> Elaine's met by one of Steve's closest friends who puts his arm around her and starts making a move for her now that she's back on the market. <laughs> and in fact, asks her out. Thankfully, Steve wised up, came to his senses, and a week later, arrives at the doorstep with a dozen red roses. And she said, Yes. The rest is history. They were married for 26 years, and in total they were together for 34 years. Steph Cummings, your dear friend who lives now in Australia, wrote the following words. Oh, my beautiful friend, Steve was the love of your life, and you were his. You were the perfect couple. Together, they had three incredible children. You've seen them already, in Nathan, in Hannah, and Beth. It's safe to say that Steve was an incredible parent. He was a great daddy. And the proof is in the pudding. You're a chip off the old block. Or as Elaine's brother Stevie said the other day, a quote from the Shankill, you're the cut of your da. <laughs> I knew the accent wouldn't work. <laughs> I did my best, Stevie. You can do it later, all right? Or how about Tommy's description? You'd thought he had just spat him out of his mouth. <laughs> Both Steve and Elaine have parented exceptionally well. You've done a great job. And he lives in you and through you. Beth, you recalled a story just the other day of your recent holiday in Spain, where you'd go each year together. And uh, the family had been out together uh, already and uh, they returned home, and Elaine and Hannah thought, it's time for the PJs, and it's time for an early night. 
Not so with Steve, the night was young. And the only person he had left was his 14-year-old daughter, <laughs> Beth, to take him out. And so they did, they walked a mile to the local uh, cocktail bar where they had drinks. I'm yet to discover whether yours was alcoholic or not, by the way. <laughs> we'll have words. But afterwards, uh, after some time together and some fun, they decided the, the mile walk home, which had them visiting the local play park, where Steve thought it'd be a good idea to go on the seesaw. <laughs> you can imagine a seesaw and the two of them, their weights are hardly going to counterbalance. <laughs> and Steve got stuck and Beth refused to pull him out. <laughs> they then walked home listening to ACDC whilst chasing crickets and some other escapade involving a van. Perhaps I should revise my comments about him being a good dad. <laughs> he loved you dearly, and uh, you're not supposed to have favorites, but uh, perhaps there was a special kind of love that he had for you, and uh, always took a good opportunity taking you to the orthodontist to take you out for that little bit of extra time, take you for a sneaky McDonald's together. Hannah. Uh, you recalled the other day just uh, how he had that ability to make you laugh even when you were sad, even when you were annoyed with him. <laughs> he still had that way of bringing you round. And I've watched you for years and I've watched that relationship that you have with your dad. He gets you, he understands you. He knows how to comfort you. Uh, you described the daddy bear hug that you'd give him each day, how you'd pull him in tight and he'd pretend that you were hurting him. And uh, he made you feel special, I think, and he made you feel safe. And like most fathers, you know, he, he did his very best to protect his family, protect his children, especially his girls. When Hannah started dating David, uh, there was a story when the two of them went to the cinema together. Some of you know it, I can tell. <laughs> and uh, they'd been to the cinema, and... Uh, 11 o'clock has come and Steve is texting Hannah as if to say, where are you, dear? You're not coming home. And yeah, I'm just coming out the cinema, Dad, thanks. Great, okay. Half an hour later, Hannah, where are you? Oh, we've gone to McDonald's. Great, I'll be home soon. Great. Another half hour goes, Hannah, where are you? Where are you? This went on until one o'clock in the morning when Hannah and David arrived back at the house to be met by David, but to be met by Steve. And Steve simply points upstairs to Hannah and tells her, you're to go up there. And then he points at David and he points to the living room and he says, and you in there. <laughs> and hereby the interrogation begins. After two questions, Steve cracks, cracks up laughing. And it's all just a bit of fun. But he wanted to assert his authority and his protective father. And, uh, and the two of you are here together. You might have thought, Hannah, that that was the first time I heard it the other day, but I just need to let you know that he loved telling us that story. I already knew it because he told it, as some have obviously heard it also. Nathan, you've already spoken so bravely and boldly. You have your own memories of your dad. He was immensely proud of you, as he was of the pair of you. In these recent days, you've displayed those similar qualities of your father, which was instilled to him by his father. Kate, I know the relationship that you had with him. He was just like another dad to you, and he cared and loved you deeply. Chantel and I have known Steve and Elaine for a number of years. We've great memories uh, together at the North Coast. We were delighted that from day one, whenever we planted Carrick Fergus Vineyard Church nearly nine years ago, that Steve and Elaine were on board with us. And they led together, shoulder to shoulder with us. Steve was the founding father of our church. He was, together with Elaine, a solid support for Chantal and I. It would not be the church it is today if it wasn't for their sacrifice and their leadership. And their fingerprints can be seen all over it. Steve was our first member of staff doing whatever was needed to be done. He looked after our finance and our accounts and later he looked after all our compassion ministries bringing hope to many folks within our community. 
My simple reflection of Steve was that he was both solid and soft. He was solid in himself because he was a rock. He was someone who you could depend on. He was reliable. And he was one of few people that I can honestly say that I would have entrusted my life to. He shielded and protected his family and in his leadership and his work with us in the church. He had conversations with people and did things uh, without us even knowing. And he did that in a way that was there to protect and shield us. You knew where you were with Steve. There was no back door. He said it as it was. But he often did it from a place of love. He'd learned to build his life upon the rock. That is Jesus. He had a very simple but deeply profound relationship with God. He understood grace. He knew that he was far from perfect but deeply loved. Something that many of us struggle with. There was a soft side to Steve also. He had a large and soft, compassionate heart for people. If he could help someone out, he would have done it for you. Ethan Howard, who's been part of our church community for a number of years, aged nine, said he was the kindness of Carrick Fergus Female Church. And one thing that struck me over the last number of days in his passing, the number of comments that seemed to say that he always had time for, for us. He was an absolute brilliant and master of one-to-one -one conversations, making you feel special, making you feel heard. And in fact, many of us told Steve things that we wouldn't dare tell anyone else because he was trustworthy and because he was reliable and because he deeply cared. He was never in a position like this where he was up front. But look how around you how many people are here because he affected and he influenced people's lives one life at a time. I have permission to read a Facebook entry from Steve's barber. Um, just literally a stone throw away from where we work in Carrick. She wrote this, Steve touched many lives in a deep and meaningful way. I for one will miss our personal chats when he called with me for his haircuts. He shared with me about his illness and his unwavering certainty that God was looking after him. He always had a word of encouragement for me during our chats about my personal struggles over the last few years. I will miss him beyond words, but I'm assured we will chat again. This is one story, one life, which could be spoken of time and time again by many of us who are sat here. Instead of the crowds, he saw the one, so like Jesus. In our churches, we often talk about legacy. We talk about what we're doing here and now, how we're investing our lives, how we're giving it away, what are we doing with it that is going to leave something meaningful and purposeful behind. What's Steve's legacy? What has he invested in that he leaves behind? Well, obviously, he leaves three incredible children behind that together with Elaine has invested in. John's Gospel recalls these words spoken by Jesus about Jesus himself. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is using this metaphor of a single wheat seed falling to the ground and dying so that someday it will grow up and it will harvest many, many seeds. Jesus is using this metaphor of himself. He's describing his imminent death that's coming, that through his death we might have life. I'm not simply going to lift that one verse off the shelf out of the book and apply it directly to Steve, but there's a similar principle. And the principle is this, that through his death, through his life and his death, he's touched the hearts of many of us. And my prayer is this, that many people will come to life because of his life. It would be his desire, it would be his prayer 
that there are some here that that God will be speaking to through this time. And it would be his desire that you would know the Jesus that he knew. Steve Fugard was a really good man. He was the real deal. He wasn't the tallest man that walked the earth. But he was and is a colossal giant in God's kingdom. I'm so humbled to be involved in this service and it goes without saying this is not what any of us expected or hoped for and there are no words to adequately express the pain and the grief that we feel. As I said earlier I, I knew and loved Steve as well. I first met him and Elaine in the early days of Carrick Fergus Vineyard. Uh, I was trying to help out a little bit in the background. I loved what Steve brought to the party. He truly was a founding father of this beautiful church. I love that he was up for risk. I love that he was willing to work hard. I love that he and Elaine were both true servants in it all. As Paul said, he wasn't a spotlight guy, uh, but he was just simply willing to do whatever it took. I was always so impressed with his commitment and his sacrifice and his service. And he was known and loved and respected, not just in Carrickfergus Vineyard, but throughout our whole family of churches on this island. One of the reasons he was so loved is because he was a real encourager and he was so enthusiastic. I used to do uh, board meetings for Carrickfergus Vineyard. And uh, Paul, you used to hate those meetings. And uh, we used to do them in this hotel near Antrim in the lobby. And Steve would be the one who was bouncing in full of the joys of spring, no matter what we were talking about, always hopeful, always encouraging, always encouraging me and everyone else. And I absolutely love that about him. He wasn't just full of enthusiasm and encouragement. He was fun. And you don't need me to tell you that. As soon as those, those pictures came up, you could just see how fun and amazing he was, and that's just come through in the tributes we've already had today. Always joking, always laughing. I always wanted to be around him, and I know you did too. Above all, I loved how Steve loved people, and Paul just shared about that so well. Steve wanted people to do well. He wanted them to know Jesus. I had many conversations with Steve, and I would always ask him, how are things in Carrickfergus Vineyard? And that's what would shine through. He would tell stories of life change. He would tell how passionate he was about what God was doing in that community. His heart was for people, to help anyone who needed it, to see his community flourish, and to help people find the same life in Jesus that he found. I loved him, and I know you did too. And all of us are here, I'm sure, we're, we're coming with questions. Today is supposed to be celebratory, and we're going to continue to lean into that. But it's also hard. How could this happen? Where's God? And even if we knew the answers to the questions that naturally come to our hearts and minds at a time like this, I'm just not sure there would be an adequate explanation for this loss. We could know answers, yet it doesn't stop pain and the grief. So where can we go to find hope and comfort and courage in the midst of the questions and the grief and the loss? I just want to really briefly mention a few places that I've found hope and some comfort and I want to offer them to you and then pray for us. Firstly, I've found comfort in the scriptures if you take the scriptures, the, the story of God's people and God's work on this earth seriously, it is not long before you see clearly the suffering and the waiting of his people and his creation. The many times that God's people expected good things and did not receive them. 
The many times there was grief and loss and deep pain instead of fullness of joy. Yet all throughout the scriptures, we see a God who is with his people in their pain and promising them that one day his kingdom will come in fullness. One day tears will be wiped away. One day all will be made right and there will be no more mourning or crying. And right now, we live in a time where we do see glimpses of the coming of the kingdom of God here on earth. And just to say, that is what Steve loved and lived for, when the kingdom would break into the lives of those he loved and served. But right now, we also know that we do not yet see the kingdom in its fullness, and we are still waiting. So we weep today, but we, as we weep, we look forward to the day when the kingdom comes in fullness. Part of today is committing Steve into the care and keeping of Jesus, his Savior. But another part of today is proclaiming through tears that one day the kingdom will come in fullness and all will be made well and death is not the end. I've also found comfort and hope and courage in Jesus himself. One of the things I have been meditating on since I heard the terrible news about Steve is how Jesus himself didn't sit outside of the pain and difficulty and grief of this world. He entered into it and experienced it fully. He's not a savior who's distant. He's a savior who understands grief and loss and pain and waiting. The prophet Isaiah prophesied that he would be called a man of sorrows, a man acquainted with grief. In John chapter 11, we see Jesus weep over the sudden death of his friend Lazarus. Before he does anything, he weeps at a tomb and pours out his heart. Again, in Luke chapter 19, we see Jesus weep and grieve deeply over the city of Jerusalem, wanting their story to be different and personally feeling the rejection of a whole people. And he pours out his heart in grief. At the Last Supper and in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see him experience the betrayal of a close friend who hands him over to death. As he's praying, In the garden, we even see him wrestling and questioning the Father, asking for what is about to happen to be taken away from him. And he even tells his friends that his soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And then a few hours later, we see him hanging on a cross. His friends have deserted him. He bears the weight of the sin of the world on him. And we hear him cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The experience of feeling utterly abandoned and forsaken as his death pays for the sin of the world. We have a Savior who knows grief and pain and all of what we experience in this life, which isn't the answer to a question, but more of an invitation into relationship with him. In times like these, when confusion and grief seem to reign, Where there's unanswered questions, I find it of great comfort to know that Jesus knows the way through suffering and grief because he has willingly gone before us and can and will love us through it until the end. Would you let the fact that Jesus knows the way of suffering and grief give you comfort and cause you to take courage and to trust him more? Because not only does he know the way Through this, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Because he has certainly gone before us in suffering, grief, and death, but he has also gone before us in resurrection. And if we let him, he will lead us through everything we face. We worship and love and serve and know a risen Savior. Jesus, the one who entered into the darkness of the tomb and conquered death and invites us to follow him even unto resurrection and life with him forever. Steve worshiped and loved a risen savior. And so do we. Let's let courage rise in the presence 
of Jesus. And lastly, I take comfort and courage and hope in the experience of Jesus' closest friends and followers. If you know the story of the Gospels, you know uh, in the last hours of Jesus' life, he's surrounded by his friends in the upper room. And over the previous years they'd been with him, they loved him deeply, they followed him, and they had given up everything for him. They were expecting a good future. They were expecting joy. They were full of hope. They'd just seen Jesus ride into Jerusalem like a king. And they saw the crowds loving it. They had just had an amazing Passover meal with him. They were confident and they were hopeful. And then betrayal happens. And then they run away as Jesus was taken and beaten and put on trial and crucified. And I can only imagine their grief and loss and pain, the utter confusion and fear. Caught up in grief for their friend, but also grief for the loss of dreams and things longed hoped for and the loss of what was in their minds a good future. Suddenly and shockingly gone. Much like many of us feel right now. I'm sure they experienced anger and doubt and pain and grief at a profound level. None of it making sense. How could anything good come of this? What is the point? But in a few days, a few days into the grief and the loss and the anger and the questions, they get a surprise. A surprise that echoes down through the generations and even touches us today and certainly touched Steve. They discover that God has actually raised Jesus from the dead. They discover there's been a resurrection. And that not only has Jesus been raised from the dead and is with them, but that one day they will share in his resurrection. Resurrection is one of the only things that offers hope and future goodness in the midst of immense grief and pain and loss. A few minutes ago, Beth read from John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. The context of those words, Jesus was speaking them from the upper room, the Last Supper. Judas has left to betray him, and they are about to go to the turmoil of the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're hours away from trial and crucifixion. And he tells them to trust him. Trust in God, trust also in me, is what he tells them. Despite what's coming, despite what you're going to face, despite the confusion and despite the grief, trust in him. Trust in his saving love for them. As we are together today with our questions, with our grief and our pain, I believe the same is true of us. I don't know why Steve is gone. I do believe that Jesus is inviting us to trust him and to trust in his saving love for Steve and for us. He's inviting us to trust him with our own lives and our own futures, including one day our own resurrection. Resurrection and life with God forever is the only thing that can bring a seed of hope and comfort. It doesn't answer all the questions. It doesn't take the pain and grief instantly away. It doesn't turn bitter disappointment automatically into happiness. Let's not fool ourselves. But at a moment like this one, the only thing that breaks into questions, confusion and grief, is resurrection hope. That Jesus has risen and has saving love for Steve and has saving love for us. That we can trust him and that we can be certain that Jesus has received Steve safe in his arms and in his presence and that Jesus will receive all who put their faith in him. And we now await the fulfillment of all things when Jesus will return and wipe away every tear. And instead of seeing through a glass darkly, as St. Paul writes, we shall see him face to face. And we shall be reunited with those who have gone before us in faith, who are right now with God in his presence. Jesus says to us today, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. We may never get 
understanding. We may never get answers to our questions. But even though we are devastated, and we mourn and we grieve, and we do what we can to comfort this beautiful family and one another, we do so in the hope of resurrection. That Jesus has gone before us and will bring us with him fully into his kingdom, just as he has done for our brother, Steve. God speaks to us through his word and invites us to trust fully in him. If you know Jesus today, turn to him afresh for comfort, friendship, courage, and peace. If you don't, may I just simply invite you to turn to him. He will receive you. I believe Jesus has a powerful, redemptive life and legacy for each of us if we will come to him, follow him, rest in him, and trust him for resurrection and life forever. Amen. I want to invite you to now stand, and we're going to worship again. And the song we're going to sing now is, was an important part of Steve's boyhood, and so we're going to sing it together now. There's power in the blood. The words will be on the screen and in your order of service. be seated. Would you please join me as we pray? Our Father in heaven, 
We come before you in grief and shock and sorrow and with questions. We ask that your comfort and mercy and presence would overshadow us. We especially ask that for Steve's family. We pray for Elaine and Nathan and Hannah and Beth. Pray for Steve's parents, Tommy and Elizabeth. We pray for Steve's sister, Jacqueline, for Elaine's mother and stepfather, Lily and Ronnie. And we pray for Stevie and Michelle, Elaine's brother and sister-in-law. Lord, would you pour out your love and healing and hope? And we ask that you would tenderly draw near to them in the midst of their deep sorrow and grief. I thank you for how near you have been to them already and how you have sustained them. I thank you for their courage, their dignity, their hope, and their faith in you. We ask that you would speak to them, that you'd protect them, that you would guide them as the good shepherd. Give them grace, patience, and understanding. Help them to listen to and to love each other deeply and to help each other in the days to come. I thank you for the many friends and family and the church family that you've placed around this family to love and to care for them in all sorts of ways. Help us to be your loving arms around them. I thank you that you provide for us and you love us and you do not abandon us. Lord, so many are grieving the loss of Steve. You alone can heal our broken hearts. You alone can wipe away the tears. You alone can comfort our grief and heartbreak. You alone can give us the peace we need. Amidst our questions, help us to trust you. Give us the grace of your presence and comfort. Lord Jesus, we celebrate and we thank you for Steve's life. We are heartbroken that it was cut short. We entrust him to you now, knowing that he is in your presence and in your care, safe and secure in your love. Amen. Just a few final announcements from me. Refreshments will be served in the Carlisle Hall afterwards, and you're all invited to stay behind and join with the family. In just a few moments, though, we'll be walking across to Victoria Cemetery to lay Steve's body to rest. As the body leaves the church, I need to tell you that the music that will be played is a song from a band you've probably never heard of called Queen. And the song is Don't Stop Me Now. And I was going to say that that's a, probably, for many of us, a surprising choice, except you've just heard all about Steve and it's not really a surprise at all, is it? It was an important song to him. And at one point, he asked his family to play it at his funeral. And he said to them, I'll be on my way to glory for a better party there. And so they've chosen to have that song played as his body is removed to honor his wishes. Before that happens, would you please stand for the benediction? We thank you, eternal God. In Jesus Christ, you've given us a true hope. Help us to live as those who believe and trust in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection to eternal life. Strengthen this faith and hope in us all the days of our life. In Jesus' name. Now may God give you and to all those whom you love his comfort, his peace, his light, and his joy in this world and the next. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all forevermore. Amen. <laughs>